Welcome, you're listening to the Cultivate Podcast, where we share stories to help us cultivate the characteristics of Christ. We're your hosts, Lydia Bridgman and Kayla Hallstrom. Thanks for joining us as we grow together. Hey, listeners, we're so happy that you've joined us for today's podcast. Now, this is a very special one today because we're going to be sitting down with my dad, Tim Puentes, as he continues this season's focus on connection. And specifically today, we're going to talk about connecting with the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, for those of you who would consider yourself Christians, Jesus dying on the cross for us isn't really a new concept. However, today we hope to bring you back to a place of remembrance, as well as gain a deeper understanding of how the cross of Christ is truly central to our spiritual walk. So without further ado, let's welcome a wonderful man of God, a very wise and gifted man, my dad, Tim Puentes. Welcome, dad. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to us too. Good to be here. Yeah, it's so fun to have you on the show. I just love bring in people who are close to us and yeah, special to us. Yeah, one of the best so, parts. Yeah, I'm excited. So obviously, Dad, I know you so well, but our listeners don't. So could you share with us a little bit about yourself to start off the show? Sure, just want to thank you for having me. Uh, it's a joy and privilege to be here with uh, you both, Lydia and Kayla, finally on your Cultivate podcast. I've been married to my beautiful wife, Tracy, for 36 and a half years now. We've been blessed to be able to raise three amazing daughters by God's grace. Our firstborn, Lydia, uh, now married to Jimmy Bridgman. Uh, Emma's our middle daughter. Our youngest daughter, Lucy, is a senior in high school this year. As a Christian family, we've been part of Northwoods Community Church uh, for uh, quite a long time, since 2006. For the past 14 years, I've served as a uh, sales consultant in the workplace, served Christ at Uptree Nissan in Peoria, and my family's resided in Washington, Illinois since 2006, the year we moved back to the Midwest. Before moving back to Illinois, we lived way out west in the state of California (laughs) from uh, 1995 to 2006, where I was a full-time pastor at two evangelical free churches. Uh, five years as an associate pastor at the Evangelical Free Church of Oakland in the Bay Area, and then also six years as senior pastor at Westside Church of Redding in Northern California. Before our 11 years in California, Tracy and I lived uh, without kids (laughs) um, in Chicago as a young married couple for a decade uh, from 1985 to 1995. The last six of those years, I received a formal Christian ministry education. I went to Moody Bible Institute for three years. And uh, I got a degree in uh, Bible and then uh, did postgraduate seminary training at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, Illinois, where I received a Master's of Divinity and Mm -hmm. a Master's of Theology in Systematic Theology. So, and then a little over two years after Tracy and I were married, on December 22nd, 1984, in East Peoria, at the young ages of 19 Aww, and 21. That's amazing. Uh, we experienced a household salvation. We were both converted to Christ mm-hmm. within the same week in our one-bedroom apartment in Chicago, and that's when our Christian lives mm-hmm. began as a young married couple. So it's a little bit about me. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I love how I you... I didn't know all that. Yeah, I love how you brought everything back to that moment of... Mm. Because really, like, there's all these things in our journey, but really, 
that's like the pivotal part of our yep. journey is when we come yep. to the Lord. And mm-hmm. that was just, I'm just always so encouraged by your guys' testimony of how you came to know Christ. So yeah. thanks for sharing that, Dad. It's really cool. And and as I said earlier, our focus today is on the cross. Um, so we wanna first just ask you to share your story to get to where God has you today and just your own personal connection with the cross. And we'll kind of break it into three different phases and you can talk more about that as well, but of your spiritual journey. So let's just start with phase one of your life and the connection to the cross that you had um, as a child. All right. So phase one of my life extends from my physical birth into this world (laughs) to right before my spiritual birth at age 24. So up until 24, I didn't have a personal relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, Jesus said in John 3, 5 to Nicodemus, you must be born again or you must uh, have a spiritual birth in order to enter the kingdom of God. But I was not until I was 24 that I actually experienced that you know, birth by the Spirit, mm-hmm. born of the Spirit. Uh, prior to that time, I would say I would describe my connection to the cross as as a comforting symbol and as a sure sign, two mm-hmm. things. So first, um, it was like a comforting symbol of Christianity to me. It was a mm-hmm. reminder that Jesus died on the cross. So as a young boy, a teenager, during my first years of my early adult life, every time I saw the sign of the cross or the symbol um, on billboards, Bumper stickers, yeah. buildings, everywhere. T-shirts, yeah. television, tattoos, everywhere, um, just all over the place. I would always be reminded of my of Christianity and the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was also a couple. Uh, just small things, films like Jesus of Nazareth. I would watch that every single year. They just had a profound mm-hmm. impact on me as well as Rembrandt's Christ Crucified Between Two Thieves, The Three Crosses. That piece of art always mm-hmm. had a major impact on me. But it was just a symbol to me really um, as a reminder that God loved us, that Jesus died for us. But I couldn't figure out during those years how that had anything to do with me mm-hmm. um, yeah. since he died 2,000 years ago. Yeah. How yeah. did it affect me? How did it, how could it change my eternity? Yeah. So it was as if God was kind of tapping me on the shoulder and saying, you know, I'm here, here's yeah. the truth, but I, I just refused to turn around and face the light. Um, and so I had an intellectual type of faith. I believed about the cross. Um, I was exposed to the cross. Uh, I believed about the Christian doctrines, could quote the Nicene and mm-hmm. Apostles' Creed, yep. mm-hmm. but I just did not have assurance of my salvation during that time. So um, the, the mystery of the cross was foggy to me, kind of unclear. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, like I said, I was exposed to the light, but I wasn't. I didn't embrace the light. I, I like to borrow this quote from one of my favorite church fathers, Saint Augustine. I love him. He's in his book Confessions, which I recently read. Um, he said, uh, "I had turned." This is before he became a Christian. He said, "I had turned my back to the light and my face to the things it illuminated, and so no light played upon my own face." or on the eyes that perceived them. In other words, it was mm. behind him, but he hadn't turned his, mm. his, his face mm. to the light. Yeah, that's a good picture. So during my this first phase of my life, uh, the cross was kind of like a comforting symbol, but also a sign of my Catholic faith. I was born and raised in a small town of Geneseo, Illinois, um, to a multicultural Cuban-American home. 
Uh, my father, Roberto, was born in Cuba, the country Cuba, and my mother, Lynn, was born in right here in Peoria Heights, Illinois. Um, so lived in that multicultural home, raised Catholic, attended St. Malachi's Church in Geneseo, as well as St. Malachi's grade school from first to sixth grade, attended mass regularly, uh, communion, CCD, the whole, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> everything yeah. Catholic. <laughs> and, uh, and I also practiced all the disciplines of the Catholic Church. I had received five of the seven sacraments, um, including marriage was the fifth one. So we were married in the Catholic Church. So, um, But I still remember this little wooden cross that hung on my be- bedroom wall um, next to this famous 1940 portrait by uh, Warner Salzman, the head of Christ. And I also remember visualizing the church that I w- attended and all the crosses inside and the stations of the cross and all of the crosses mm-hmm. uh, in between the stained glass windows. And of course, I could remember doing the sign of the cross for many reasons, different occasions. Um, but I do appreciate that even today because it did um, symbolize the, the Trinity. Right, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So the formula the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, of course, moving my right hand from the forehead to the chest and back and forth, left and right. Mm-hmm. So um, I was exposed to the light, but I had turned my back to the mm-hmm. light. So I, um, I, I was thinking maybe someone here is listening to the podcast mm-hmm. possibly, or maybe you know someone who's like I was. You mm-hmm. grew up in a church, whether Catholic, Protestant, yeah. whatever denomination, you were exposed to the light of Christ, but it's not enough to just be exposed to the light. You have to mm-hmm. embrace the light yeah. of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to share one verse about that. Yeah. John 1, 12 and 13. I think this really speaks to that issue that you must be born of God. Um, to be a true child of God. Yet to all who did receive him, Christ, the true light. For those who believe in his name, he, God, gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of husband's will, but born of God, born of the Spirit. Only by the work of the Spirit um, can, and, and through our belief uh, in the Son can we become a child of God. Mm-hmm. So... I want to encourage you to think about that. Maybe you're like me and you just need to turn and embrace the light. So mm, I love that. That's my first phase of my yeah, life. Very good. I love that so much. And I think it's very relatable. Oh, yeah. Too, to a lot of people who yeah. might be listening, who, you know, we see this sign of the cross and, and we can't help but think about what that sign means, mm-hmm. whether we have a really deep understanding of it yet or we've really experienced the power of the cross. But yeah, it's just cool that that seed was planted and that now you can look back and be thankful mm-hmm. that that was planted, but also realize like at that point you hadn't yet embraced the not only the symbol of the cross, but what it truly meant for your life. So I love that. What would you say about phase two? So as I mentioned, phase one, a symbol and a sign, I think I would describe phase two as, a, as the cross became a place of grace for me. It became a place where I, I finally turned my face to the light. I received forgiveness of sins. I received assurance of my salvation for the very first time. And um, I was just thinking about Jesus while hanging on the cross. One of the seven last sayings of Christ that he spoke was the word telestai, translated, it is finished in John uh, 19.30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished, it is accomplished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So the finished work of Christ um, 
means that Jesus completed salvation. We don't have to do anything to earn or deserve it, but we just accept it as a gift. And so on February 5th, uh, 1987, I sort of, I call it, I stepped into the shoes of my predestined adoption as a child of God um, yeah. by faith in Jesus Christ. So God had adopted me before the world began. Right. And I walked into that on February 5th. He, he was with me all the way. He was guiding me. He knew um, that I would come to know him. So anyway, after Tracy and I were married in December of 1984, um, in the big, uh, we moved to the big city of Chicago. <laughs> um, I was a fine arts major at that time at the University of Illinois in Chicago. Oh, so yeah. I, I had to go there to, to study. And it seemed like after about two years of marriage, Tracy and I's marriage started going downhill. I mean, we just didn't have any purpose. We didn't, life started to become unmanageable and we just felt Mm. like something was missing in our lives. Mm. It was that God-shaped void, you know, in all of us. And so um, sort of in a state of, you know, confusion or just lack Mm -hmm. of purpose, I just decided I'm going to go on an all-out search to find the truth. Uh, God put a burning desire in my heart to somehow, um, you know, find out whether Jesus was the son of God or what religion was the right religion. So I studied all the different religions from Eastern pantheistic religions to, you know, I read the Quran. I uh, listened to the teachings of many cult groups. Um, I also, during that time, interestingly, I started watching Christian television programs Mm. on TV, uh, TV evangelists, uh, talk show hosts. And I also started reading my my gigantic Catholic New American Bible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I read, read John's Gospel. That's why John's Gospel is one of my favorite books. So um, anyway, so, uh, and then interestingly, all of my artwork at school began to take on a spiritual flavor. I I started like, one of my sculptures was uh, made out of black wire of Jesus on the cross. Mm, Um, Another sculpture was Jesus, um, it was a clay sculpture of Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And then I remember Mm. all of my abstract paintings started to include three uh, shapes that kind of represented the Trinity. So mm-hmm. it was just kind of interesting how God was, you know, drawing me through that time. But anyway, on February 5th, 90, 1987, I was sitting on my living room couch in my one bedroom apartment, and that was the day of salvation for me. I prayed a simple prayer with a, um, and I know a simple prayer doesn't necessarily save you, but it did me because it was a meaningful, yep. I humbly humbled myself before God, and I, I went to the foot of the cross, and he gave me, the assurance that my sins were forgiven and that I had eternal life. So I broke down in tears for the first time in my life. I had assurance that God's spirit had testified with my spirit that I was a child of God. And on that day of salvation, I was instantly delivered from a seven-year marijuana addiction. 34 years later, I can testify that I've never had a desire to smoke pot ever again since that moment. It was a miracle from the Lord, but all I want to say is that it's a proof that Jesus is the Son of God. Um, A week later, after my wife saw the radical changes in me, um, on the same, we call it the salvation couch, um, (laughs) she received Jesus as her Savior. Yeah, where is that thing now? (laughs) She was born again. I don't know. I wish we had it. So my conversion experience... Um, was one of what I call two major uh, prodigal son moments in my life. This was the first one. This was as a not yet son. This was as a lost sheep who finally came to his spiritual senses like the prodigal son in Luke. In a pig pen of sin, I repented and gave my life to Christ. And the entire time, the father was waiting for me to embrace me. 
And so just an amazing experience. Um, One year after Tracy and I were born again, um, through a series of divine appointments, um, circumstances, I ended up a student at Moody Bible Institute um, with an insatiable hunger to learn the word of God and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. And then within three years, like I mentioned earlier in my intro, uh, I graduated from Moody, went on to Trinity for post-grad work, uh, did a pastoral internship, and then after uh, ministry training, um, Tracy and I served five years in Oakland and five years or six years in Reading, uh, where we had some amazing experiences that we treasure in our hearts, um, uh, people and places that we're very, very thankful for. But however, due to a moral transgression in my early 40s, as the bad fruit of undealt with wounds and struggles in my life, my ministry trained came to a screeching halt in 2006. Um, I was forced to resign as pastor, lost my job, my career. Tracy and I lost our ministry. I lost my credentials, my reputation. I sold and gave away my 2,000-plus library of books, and we sold our home and moved back to the Midwest to begin a new chapter in our lives. Um, this was the hardest and most difficult dark night of the soul season in our marriage and in our family. But our merciful, gracious God has always been faithful to us during all the hills and valleys. And we have witnessed over and over again that God works together, everything, all the good and the bad, together for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Um, so today I can say what the enemy meant for evil God has been good, and God is still turning our it out for our good and for his glory. So anyway, since just real quick, since moving back to Illinois, um, our t- families have been attending Northwoods, and uh, for the past first 14 years, I call them the years that the locusts have eaten. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a reference from Joel 2.25, uh, lost years that needed to be restored. And during the last seven of those 14 years, I've been engaged in the daily spiritual disciplines of study, meditation, writing, and journaling that have all helped till the soil for God to do a new work and a new thing in my life in phase three. The words in Isaiah 43, 18, and 19 have recently been a great source of comfort to me from God. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a great thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Mm. So that takes me to phase three. Dad, being your daughter, I've just been able to see firsthand the the power of Christ working in your life. And it's just so cool to see that in our relationship with the Lord, it's like we come to know him, but then throughout the years, he just keeps chipping away at things. And we're, we're never to the place where we are, are perfected, but it's just a continual journey. And I just think that's so beautiful to see um, just your story. And, and as your daughter, I've just been reminded myself to go back to the cross yeah. over and over and over as that place of grace, of that place of freedom, of that place of healing. And it's just so amazing to see what God's done in our in our family, in your life, that he's just never done using us. And I'm excited for you to talk now about phase three, because this is, this is the part where I feel like I'm excited to see phase three in your life really continue. Yeah. 
So like I said, uh, phase one, a symbol and a sign. Phase two was really a place of grace. But now in phase three, I believe the cross has been, I call it a hiding place and a healing place. So mm-hmm. it's a, the cross has been a place where I can go and just be totally bold and honest with, uh, with, with the Lord, with other men um, about my struggles and receiving uh, some new levels of freedom of Christ in my life since age 56, actually a couple of years ago. One defining moment that came in phase three uh, was with my wife, Tracy, who wrote me a short poem entitled uh, Longing to be Loved in December 2018. Um, I could hear my wife's heartbeat in this letter. Um, and it was used by God to break me and lead me to a place uh, to get help to deal with certain battles that I was losing, trying harder. And so I ran to the foot of the cross and received deeper healing uh, and freedom uh, from the power of sin in my life. So um, this little letter, poem Tracy wrote, I actually have it folded up in my wallet. I carry it with it every day. So um, That's sweet. (laughs) I love that. So It was during the last part of 2019 and then the year of COVID, the year mm-hmm. of COVID. I know the year of COVID was a really terrible year, but I always find it's like one of the greatest years of my mm-hmm. life because God did great work in my yeah. life. Yeah, God still um, worked. Um, and I call this the second prodigal son period. So this time is a true son, a wayward son. I came and I had to humble myself again and and just run into the father's arm and ask him to help me to pursue complete freedom in Christ mm-hmm. um, as a man and to just take care of some of the strongholds in my life. And he's done that. He's broken things in my life off, off of me. Um, and my good, good fathers used many people and circumstances to bring me humbly to the foot of the cross to lovingly embrace my father so he could set me free. Uh, God has responded to uh, all of these by his spirit, been responding uh, to faithful prayers for me, uh, the grace, love, and mercy shown to me by my family, um, Pastor Cal's sermons, other speakers' sermons on freedom in Christ, a letter my wife wrote me. Um, he's used many books that I've read, uh, several ministries, uh, get free classes with Tommy Briggs, who taught those, my li- the Life-Changing Conquer series, and uh, also um, Seven Pillars to Freedom, and then God has also used uh, Pastor Kurt Smith at Northwoods as well as the men in my group uh, to just have a place uh, where we can be honest and find freedom like never before at the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, what I've learned uh, throughout my life, just to summarize, is without the cross, there's no forgiveness of sins. There's no assurance of eternal life and with the cross, true restoration, healing, mm-hmm. holiness is possible this side of heaven. Mm-hmm. That's my story as it relates to the cross. So, Thank you, Dad, for sharing that. And, and I don't remember if I mentioned this or not earlier, but I just, that's what this podcast is all about. Right, It's all about coming together, sharing our stories, reminding people that you're not alone in, in, in the struggle to pursue the things of God, that it's hard and it's a journey. And I just yeah. love that you shared that. And we're just so open and honest because it's, it's impactful when yeah. we're genuine and authentic oh, yeah. about our journeys and yeah. it impacts people. 
Yeah, I was just thinking even as you were sharing how much um, your story for with where you're at, having these three phases where you've walked through some of the toughest stuff of somebody listening is going to be in the middle of the tough stuff. And I think they're going um, to just hear the hope of there there is a God on the other side of that who is walking through. And so mm-hmm. I just got that sense as you were sharing that I was like, this is, this is going to speak to someone. This is going to speak to people and remind them that they're, they think their story's over and the Lord is working. Um, it's just so obvious in your whole story, just the Lord's pursuit of, of you and his love for you and how he, from the very beginning was working, working that all out. Um, so as we continue, um, you know, I think there may be some people like, you know, as Lydia and I are senior, you like incredible stories. So, so how do I, how does that relate to me? How does that work in my life? What, what do I need to know about the cross? What, what, you know, so can you kind of help us understand that um, kind of walking through these questions and we'll just kind of start here. What is the connection between the cross and between God's love? Wow. That's a, that's a big question. (laughs) Um, And when we, you know, truly contemplate the wonders of the cross, there's Mm -hmm. so many messages God can tell us and show show us about the connection between the cross and his love. So it's impossible to cover all of those, but what I'd like to do if we could is just take a few minutes just to kind of build a small little fire, sit around. <laughs> yeah, it's all a little old time, a old time right religion now, campfire. So we'll build a fire. Um, and we're going to sit around <laughs> and kind of be warm by the spirit of, uh, as we look at the cross connection between God's love and the cross. Um, by looking at Romans 5, 8, just a one passage, um, Amazing verse. Um, here's what it is. Uh, but God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still or yet sinners, Christ died for us. So first in Romans 5, as we're kind of sitting around this campfire, the Spirit wants to warm our hearts with this message. God the Father revealed his character through the cross. Mm-hmm so that we would not have, have no doubt about his love. Um, so in relation to the historical event, event that took place at Calvary outside the city of Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago, God demonstrates, it says demonstrates present tense, his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The tenses of the two verbs in this, in this passage are very important. Um, in the English, they both... Begin with the letter D, demonstrates and died. So notice that demonstrates is in the present while as died is in the past. Now, what, what does that matter, okay? Well, it matters because while Christ's death was an event in the past, God still demonstrates his love to us even today. Mm-hmm. Yep. So even though it was 2,000 years ago that he died, his love is, is, is it applies to us even today. Um, it affects us even today. God's love is on display. He showed us his love. Yeah. He demonstrates his love. So there's a film called Jobs, <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite films. It's an Ameri- American mm. um, biographical drama based on the life of Steve Jobs, mm-hmm. played by Ashton Kutcher. Uh, from 1974, as a college student at Reed College, uh, 
to the unveiling of the iPod in 2001. Mm. And the opening scene <laughs> um, presents Job at an Apple town hall meeting presenting the iPod, unveiling it for the first time. Um, Job walks slowly onto the, on the stage. He's greeted by cheers and a standing ovation from the crowd. And there's a bright blinding light shining on his face from the back of the auditorium as he begins his presentation. And here's what he says. I'm really excited to be here. We have something really special to share with you today. In total, between Mac and, uh, and PowerBook lines, we've sold over 3 million units this year. Okay, that's, that's it. Laughter. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe there's more. One more thing. Um, it's about. I'm about to show you something that's amazing. Something that no one else in the world has seen yet. Now, Johnny, myself, and a small team have been working really hard on a secret project, which is something I've been known to do from time to time. Laughter from the crowd. Yeah. Um, the device I'm about to introduce you to is going to revolutionize an entire industry. It's a music playing device. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Because what it represents is as important as what it is. It's a tool for the heart. And when you can touch someone's heart, that's limitless. If I do so say, say so myself, it's insanely cool. <laughs> it's a music player. It's a thousand songs in your pocket. Then Job reached into his pocket, pulls out the device and said, I'd like to introduce you to the iPod, the crowd erupts, the music plays, <laughs> the great unveiling of the revolutionary iPod. <laughs> so listen, as great as and insanely cool as the <laughs> unveiling of the iPod was back in 2001, it really pales in comparison mm. to the greatest unveiling yeah. of God's divine son yeah. to the world who was on display on the cross 2,000 mm. years ago, who died for our sins as the perfect Lamb of God, God still demonstrates or shows us mm -hmm. that love even yeah. today through the greatest act of love in human history. And he now beckons us by his spirit to come humbly before him at the foot of the cross to receive his forgiveness and eternal life by looking to the son we can have eternal life. John 3, 14 and 15, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man may be lift, must be lifted up that everyone who looks upon him or believes in him may have eternal life in him. And while it's true that the iPod could place a thousand songs in your pocket, God is able to put a new song in our heart, can download thousands of his spiritual blessings into your heart and soul at the cross if you will only look and believe. Now that is insanely cool. <laughs> Ephesians 1, 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. An encounter with Jesus Christ and the cross has the power even today to touch and change and transform any human heart like nothing else in the world. That's the power that's limitless, mm -hmm. that's insanely cool. Mm -hmm. A second connection we find in Romans 5, 8 has to do with the extent of God's love to towards us. So the death of Jesus was for even us as undeserved sinners to show us the extent of his love. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We did not deserve right. anything. Right. So God said, in spite of how evil, sinful, undeserving, unrighteous, self-righteous, proud, rebellious you are, 
living in darkness, Jesus, the son of God, the light of the world, bled and died anyway for you. God's amazing grace and mercy and love was displayed on the cross when God became man and died for us. Um, so the good news is he, he continues to demonstrate that love to us. Uh, one of the best passages, I think, that teaches about the extent of Christ's love is found in Philippians 2, eight, uh, 6 through 8, as Paul poetically describes the incarnation of the Son, his humble mindset, his, his being willing to leave or relinquish his throne in heaven as the divine Son of God and come to earth and become a man. Amazing. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says, who being in very nature God, he was, he was the divine son of God, mm -hmm. equal with the Father, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, he didn't take advantage of it. He relinquished his throne, not his deity. Uh, verse 8 and 9 goes on to describe the incarnation. Rather, he made himself nothing, being taken uh, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on the cross, the most uh, horrible way of dying through execution. So we see the extent of God's love for us. The extent of the son's love for us is displayed at the cross, which I believe like it motivated Charles Wesley to write the famous hymn, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? Uh, he says, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldest die for me. Um, Jesus, the infinite God, man, did not come into the world as Savior to be a great show, the greatest showman, all right? <laughs> he came to show men humbly that he is the only way to God, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus came to show us the great extent of his love by dying on the cross. For even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's amazing mm -hmm. love. So good. I feel like, you know, as uh, believers, all of us who have been walking with the Lord, I would say for a considerable amount of time, it never, it's never, like, it's always good to come back to, you know, just the power and, you know, those simple truths that you read in Romans. I mean, one verse, one verse that just changes our world, changes mm -hmm. our world that while we were still sinners. Yeah. Christ died for us and continues to demonstrate that love for us. Yeah. Yeah, and to imagine that that if 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 it was just my sin alone, yeah. Jesus would have still died for one, mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. And that's just incredible. That just hits you and it's like, whoa, like God would give his son. Yeah. His son who never made a mistake, who was perfect. Right. Who was him as a human and it's just Incredible that that we are chosen and special enough that Christ would die for just us if it would have been just us. And listeners, that's the same for each and every one of you. He died for each and every one of you. And, and we need to be yeah. reminded of that because that's so essential to be reminded of that truth. So dad, the second question we want to ask you today relates to God's triumph at the cross because he demonstrates his love for us on the cross. He he died on the cross and, and there's also a triumph behind that. And the definition of triumph is a great 
victory. And I love that because when Christ was on the cross, um, as you mentioned a minute ago, we can look at that as a sad picture. And it is sad in some ways as believers, each um, good Friday that comes around, it, it does grieve our hearts to imagine our Savior suffering. But there was also something amazing, and that was the victory that was being one for us there for all of humanity on that cross. And that's what we want to focus on next. So how does the crucifixion and death of Jesus that occurred thousands of years ago, how does that still speak to us today about God's victory or God's triumph? So like the theme of love, the theme of victory, there's, there's so many passages we could go to to, uh, to talk about this theme of the connection between the cross and God's triumph. But I, I want to go to Colossians 2, 14 and 15. It's one of the best passages in the New Testament. It says, having canceled the charge or, or our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he, God, has taken away, taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Um, so here in Colossians 2, 14 and 15, Paul presents two amazing spiritual realities about the Father's victory and triumph over our enemies. First, God nailed something to the cross, and secondly, the Father triumphed over some beings on the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first amazing reality is God the Father nailed the written code that stood against us, against us and condemned us to the cross, therefore eliminating all accusations against us. So it says he canceled the charge. So every accusation Satan can bring against us, um, which is you broke the law, you, you've, you've sinned. Um, it says that God nailed that to the cross. Yeah. He, he took mm-hmm. care of it. It's he wiped it away. Picture. I was trying to think of some way to describe it. I thought it was blown to smithereens. I like that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he did that by nailing it to the cross. And so if you think about it on a human point of view level, physical plane, uh, when you think about the cross, you hear the literal sounds of the nails being driven into the Jesus' hands and feet on the cross. That, that's the human point of view by the Roman soldiers. But at the same time, from a divine point of view, there were also silent nails being poor, um, pounded into the cross at the Son by the Father, who completely took away what stood against us, condemned mm-hmm. us, and accused us as sinners. I was thinking about this beautiful passage in Acts 2, uh, 23, Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Of course, it's one of those kind of passages you kind of overlook sometimes, but uh, it actually mentions both the human and divine point of view of the cross. It's really neat. So this man, uh, he says, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put Jesus to death by nailing him to the cross. So we have the combination there. God was in control the entire time. While they were nailing him to the cross, they didn't realize that God had the victory. Mm -hmm. God was nailing our sins to the cross at the same time. Um, Second amazing reality is that um, there's no condemnation for us any longer. That God disarmed... um, our enemies, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So uh, not only did God nail something to the cross, he also triumphed over some beings, namely the powers and authorities. The powers and authorities here are, 
are, are the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm that are mentioned in Ephesians 6.12, as God's soldiers fighting in the battle, we fight against, not against flesh and blood, but against the, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. And so I wanna share a little story here. It's kind of interesting. Not long ago, I was surfing the, inter- the internet, the YouTube, uh, <laughs> and uh, I was looking at the topic of the devil. I was trying to find out something on this topic and uh, uh, came across a sermon by the late Reverend Bishop Fulton Sheen uh, that he preached in the mid-70s. Sheen was a great friend of Dr. Billy Graham, most people mm-hmm. don't know that, who complimented Sheen by calling him the best communicator of the 20th century. So, um, But in his epic sermon is called The Devil and the Diabolic. Uh, Sheen addresses the theme of the devil from a psychological perspective and from a biblical theological perspective. Mm-hmm. So he first considers the devil and the diabolical from a psychological perspective. He takes his hearers to the story of Jesus healing the demon-possessed man from uh, Gerasene, recorded in Luke 8, and points out three characteristics um, of the demon-possessed man. He was naked, he was violent, and he was divided. Those are the three things that he observed Mm -hmm. about him. He was naked, he was violent, he was divided. Divided in the fact that he was uh, possessed by a demon, a legion of demons, and the phrase, we are legion, indicates the man was divided. Sheen labels him as a schizophrenic. Not sure about that. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, he, he drew the applications that the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy like this man. And mm-hmm. he wants to create violence, disorder, divisions, and tear and rip us apart, our families, our societies, and the body of Christ. But anyway, the second half of the sermon, he addresses the theme from a biblical theological perspective by taking us to Peter's conversation with Jesus in Matthew 18. So to Jesus' first question, um, who do you say that I am? Peter gets it right. um, And he testifies, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God, uh, which only the father could have revealed to him. But later Jesus explains, starts explaining to his disciples about the fact that he's gonna have to suffer and he's gonna have to die and rise on the third day. And Jesus responds in his typical knee-jerk reaction. um, (laughs) by taking Jesus aside and rebuking him. Never, Lord, this shall never, this shall never happen to you. Mm. And Jesus then turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. He called Peter Satan, <laughs> meaning that he was a stumbling block to him. He was trying to keep him from accomplishing his mission to go to the cross. Yeah. Um, and then it's interesting, Sheen takes us back to Matthew 3. From Matthew 16 to Matthew 3, the temptation of Christ, Satan did the same thing. Three times he tempted Jesus. He tried to make him stumble. He tried to make him uh, fall, not obey the Father. So why? So that he wouldn't accomplish his mission. But Jesus overcame and made it to the cross. Mm -hmm. And finally, he said this, something that really spoke to my heart. He held his large cross in his hand. Well, he was custom of him to preach with a large cross in his hand. And he said with conviction, the essence of the diabolic is contempt for the cross. Mm. And that's why this is so important that we're talking about this. Yeah. Because that's, that's the biggest attack. If the enemy can yeah. try to attack the cross, then we have nothing as believers. Yeah. yeah. The essence of the diabolic is contempt for the cross. He hates mm. the cross. Why? Because he knows it spelled his defeat. He knew yeah, that yeah. he knows that his, his head was crushed. Yeah. He knows that uh, because of the cross, as God's people, we are overcomers. Revelation 13, mm-hmm. 9 says, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimonies. What are their testimonies? About the lamb, about the cross. Yeah. Um, the devil and his demonic forces despise the cross 
because God disarmed their powers and authorities, uh, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So just think about it. Like today, um, Satan's mission is to destroy the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he masquerades, masquerades as an angel of light. He uh, He's the God of this world. He blinds the minds of unbelievers so that they won't embrace the light. As mm-hmm. long as their back's to the light, great. You know? Yeah. Um, he hates the cross. Um, so God the Father nailed what stood against us to the cross. God the Father triumphed over the cross, over the enemies of the cross. And uh, because he did, we can have the promise in Romans 8, 1, there is now, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Love it. I love that. Yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah, so good. Just the whole time you're talking. Um, he's probably not the first person that said that, but I always credit uh, one of our worship leaders, Josh Vera. He always uh, says the phrase <laughs> that we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from yeah. victory. He was one. He was the first person mm-hmm. I heard say that yeah. a few years ago. Yeah. And so yeah. he, it's a phrase he uses often mm-hmm. and just a good reminder. I feel like, you're, you know, that kind of sums up what you were talking about there. Like the victory's already won, the triumph's already there and we can operate out of that. Um, so just as we uh, kind of come to a close here, as we kind of wrap up our last question, what is the connection between the cross and our mission? So we live in a world of uh, mission statements, don't we? Yeah, <laughs> we sure do. They abound. They're like, I call them like savoir mm-hmm. faire. They're everywhere. Yeah, they're popular. True. Um, yeah. And there's all kinds of mission statements, corporate, business, organizational. You guys probably have a mission statement, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you have a mission mm-hmm. statement. So, yeah. Everybody's got a mission statement, personal mission statements, family mission yeah. statements. Um, a mission statement basically uh, defines the main goal or purpose of a group or individual mm-hmm. who crafts the mission, right? Um, so what about a follower of Jesus Christ? Uh, what should the mission statement of a Christian look like or include? What should it focus on? Um, now, there's a lot of things it could include, but... Mm-hmm. Um, Wherever you find yourself as a believer right now, um, whether you're serving, uh, going to work, you're going to school, uh, however long you've been a Christian, I want to challenge you with the question, what is my mission and what should it focus on primarily? Mm-hmm. Okay? So I believe Galatians 2.20 gives us a little insight into this. Um, I think Paul's mission was pretty clear uh, when he wrote Galatians 2.20. It's his personal mission statement. That's what most people call it. And here's what he said. um, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I remember when I first read that as a young believer many years ago, it was was perplexing to me. Like, what's going on, Paul? Are you living or aren't you living? You know, I no longer live, I live. Christ, I was like, is he like going nuts? Make up your mind. Are there two Pauls here? What's going on, you know? It's okay, we've all had those times reading scripture. But you know, as you look at it more clearly, obviously, Paul's kind of contrasting two, two separate um, the old Paul and the new Paul. So right. it's like the old Paul, the old self, uh, Saul, persecutor of the church, um, who, was in, who encountered Christ on the road to Damascus, and then the new self, Paul. So um, that's basically what he's saying here. And when he says, I no longer live, it means the old Paul doesn't live anymore. I'm crucified with Christ. I'm right. dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, a little word study here. Seven times in the verse, I or me are mentioned. 
I have been crucified. I no longer, it's just constant throughout. It begins mm-hmm. and ends with, with I and me. Five times the word live and life are mentioned in the verse. Uh, four times it refers to Paul, and one time in the middle it says Christ lives in Paul. And then four times Jesus Christ is mentioned, two times the cross is mentioned. So anyway, I was thinking about this study. If you take all these words in here and you mix them all together and you um, put them in a bowl, mix them up, put them in the <laughs> oven, put it on the table, yeah. um, it basically comes out, Paul's life is all about Jesus and about the cross. Yeah, yeah. sums it up. It's really what it is. Yeah. So like bookends, it begins, I am crucified with Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Paul's identity with the cross. He's saying, look, my identity now is with the cross. I no longer mm-hmm. live. I'm crucified with Christ. The old Paul's gone, the new Paul's here. <laughs> and then uh, it ends with, uh, with, with also the cross, who, who loved me and gave himself for me. How did mm-hmm. he do that? He died on the cross. And then also, it's if you look in the middle, uh, Paul mentions, but Christ lives in me. So Christ was the center of his life. Um, I want to also look at Galatians 2 in the context of Galatians as a whole. Um, it's a book on freedom, uh, freedom from the false gospel of legalism, freedom from the curse of the law, freedom from our flesh and the old self. And Galatians 5 is arguably the greatest chapter in the New Testament, along with Romans 8, about living free in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we walk by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, we keep in step with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit can produce the spiritual fruit in us, the prime fruit of love, joy, and peace, the secondary fruit of patience, kindness, and goodness, the tertiary fruit of faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So what was Paul's key to experiencing his freedom in Christ. It was his focus on the cross, on Christ, and living by the Holy Spirit. And it was only by the cross that Paul would boast. Galatians 6.14 says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So I think like Paul, our mission statement should be about Christ and the cross. So let me read it one more time. Just kind of put your name in there, you know, like oh, Lydia, Kayla, Tim. Mm-hmm. You know, let's put our name in there. I'm just going to read it out loud and just think mm-hmm. about it. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me mm-hmm. on the cross. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. So and I good. love that practical application say, for, yeah. for listeners to so, put their name in there yeah. because really that sums up, that's our mission. Yep. That's our call. Yeah. And a lot of us, I feel like we don't slow down enough to really think about what is my mission as a believer. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's a great, yeah. great verse. And Paul's a great example. Yeah. yeah. What a great way to end. I feel like that would just be, you know, I would challenge our listeners mm-hmm. to just take some time to do that this week to to open up Galatians 2:20 and just put your name in there and mm-hmm. and really um just wrap yourself in that mission that Paul Paul gives us there. Yeah. So Tim, thank you yeah, so Dad, that so was such much. a treasure. I feel like our uh, listeners are just getting downloaded yes. with so much wisdom, so, but what's so cool is you shared your story first yeah. and I feel like then it's it's the overflow of what yeah. God's done in your life yeah. that you share these things. So yeah. it's a gift. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you so thank much. You. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, I just, as you're talking, that that verse from uh, Ephesians 1, 3, that we have been given every spiritual blessing that we need and just that mm-hmm. starts at the cross. 
it starts at the cross with Jesus. So thank you for taking the time to, to remind us all of what's most important um, and, and just to fix mm-hmm. our eyes on that over this last hour as we've just been diving into that. So listeners, we hope you've enjoyed this as much as we have and we'll see you here next time on the Cultivate yes. Podcast. Thanks for joining us.